Carrying this will get you killed. Or will it? Let's find out. Self-defense. Self-awareness. Self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of philelmore.com and themartialist.net. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. All right, uh, I want to start by talking about drama, and there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, there's drama in everything. And uh, there was a little drama, for example, in response to the last episode of this podcast, in which uh, some I interviewed some folks. It was the first interview I've done on the podcast. And that interview was met with some responses that I think were less about things that were said on the podcast and more about things that were said elsewhere. But I don't know that for a fact. I, I wasn't privy to most of these conversations. I just know there was some drama. And that's to be expected. Drama follows everybody around in every walk of life, in every human endeavor, because drama is a human thing. The urge to create excitement or to have strong opinions and then take umbrage to other people's strong opinions, that's very much part of the human condition. Um, not even the Satanists are immune to it. <laughs> you may not know this, but... Years ago, I'm talking a long time ago now, there was, a, well, I guess there still is, a thing called the Church of Satan. And the Church of Satan was started by a guy named Tony LaVey, who changed his name to Anton LaVey, and then never had to have a real job again in his life. And Anton LaVey uh, ran the Church of Satan, which was really just Ayn Rand with pentagrams and boobs. Because back in the 70s, the way... The Church of Satan made a name for itself was by doing lots of things where they used naked women as altars, and you know for their for their ceremonies that didn't really accomplish anything because according to the Church of Satan people they didn't actually believe in Satan as an entity one can appeal to for satanic assistance. Uh, it really was just the philosophy of objectivism ripped off and written down by Anton LaVey in the Satanic Bible. But it was very fashionable. Uh, there were a lot of famous people of the day. You know, the sort of Playboy Mansion crowd. It was it was a very fashionable thing to get involved in. And, and I think Anton LaVey sort of styled himself after Hugh Hefner to a certain extent. And uh, at some point, and I'm doing this from memory, so forgive me if I get anything factually wrong. At some point, there was a, a schism. I've never been sure how to pronounce that word, having never seen anyone use it. Uh, heard anyone use it, I should say. There was a schism in the the Church of Satan because there were other people who wanted to worship Satan harder and they wanted to do it more really. So they split off and formed the Temple of Set. And I believe the guy involved in that split off was a guy named Michael Aquino. I, I'm again doing this from memory. And so even in the realms of Satanism, human drama was inescapable. And so now you have these two satanic organizations whose members presumably don't get along with each other. And that has always amused me, that there was Satanists, and then there were like people who went, nah, we're going to Satan even harder, and we're going to worship actual Satan, and we're going to call it the Temple of Set, so there. And I bring that up as one extreme. Years ago, I used to maintain 
a, a few different troll guides, articles that explored the different types of trolls one encounters online. You may or may not have heard the term concern troll, for example. A concern troll is somebody who, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm really worried that you're not okay. Uh, you, you seem really unhinged. Um, you seem like you're not okay. And, and if you are hinged and someone says that to you, then they're saying that just to try and mess with you and to claim to be concerned when they really aren't and they're just trying to get one over on you. And that's what a concern troll is. So I had these elaborate troll guides and some of them were martial arts oriented uh, and I maintained them for quite a while until at some point I just got tired of them and decided that I would leave all that behind and I took them down or I think I did there might still be versions of them kicking around somewhere but the, I mentioned this because at some point and this was also years ago all of my stories happened years ago um, <laughs> this this person an anonymous person contacted me to ask for permission to link to one of my troll guides at a forum. Now, you don't have to ask permission to link to an article. That's not how the internet works. But this person asked, and I said, of course, I can't stop you. Also, what is the nature of the forum where you're having these troubles with trolls that you want to point that out by posting the guide? And it was, I kid you not, a discussion forum, forum a bulletin board devoted to collecting stuffed animals. Apparently, even in the stuffed animal collectible world, there is enough drama for things to get vehement. And so you've got on one end of the spectrum, you've got the Satanists, because I want to worship Satan that much harder. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the stuffed animal people, who apparently also have their drama. And how dare you? I don't even know. I can't even come up with a scenario where I would need to argue about anything where stuffed animals are concerned. Um, but the drama is really the same no matter what area of human endeavor you explore. So why would it be any different when it comes to martial artists who understand weapons and martial artists who don't understand weapons? Um, there was a guy who, not that long ago even, wanted to demanded to know how, how dare I teach flashlight fighting to people how how dare i tell people to use a small flashlight as a weapon you know something this size or maybe even a little bit larger i say this because uh, if you're watching this you can see me holding a flashlight if you're listening to the podcast as you should be because this is really a podcast i know i do the videos and put them up on youtube but the whole point of the podcast is it's audio so i only started recording these for video so that i could put them on youtube when i realized that i could record it once through one piece of software and then convert it over to audio and have everything done and it was all in one go but still so for those of you who are listening as you ought to be I am holding a flashlight. Now, what is a flashlight? It is a, it's a wooden dowel. It is a, a non-flexible, a rigid implement that you can hold in your hand that does not feel pain. It does not feel pain in a way that will hurt you. Um, yes, you're limited to, you know, when you're holding any rigid object like a baton or anything like that, um, you can only hit as hard as your hand can stand to hit. This is especially true when wielding a club. So the impact is transmitted down the club into your hand. This is one of the reasons that nunchucks are actually so dangerous because the cord or chain in between the two ends of the nunchucks isolates the, the holding hand from the striking end. So you can actually hit much harder with a pair of nunchucks than you can with a simple club once you learn the basic mechanics of the weapon uh, because it isolates your hand from the impact that would otherwise be transmitted into it. But I'm off on a huge tangent. 
using a flashlight as a weapon is not special because the flashlight is simply a stand-in for any rigid cylindrical object that concentrates the force of your blow into a smaller area. That's physics. Physics says that the same amount of muscle compressed into a smaller area does more damage. That's how the tip of a knife works. If I put my finger against your chest and I push, even if I push with all of my might, at most I'm going to bruise you and make you feel uncomfortable. And, and it's very awkward if I'm just sitting there going, pushing my finger against your chest for whatever weirdo reason. However, you compress the amount of force that I am exerting down into a, a point that is as small as the tip of a knife, I can now pierce your body. I can now kill you with that amount of force when before I could not. If you, if you compromise and you, uh, you compress that force down into, let's say, uh, the tip of uh, a marker or actually something finer, uh, a chopstick, that would be good. It's blunt. It's not a stabby implement. But if you hit someone really, really hard with, with a chopstick, it's going to hurt more than if you hit them with just a hammer fist blow because you're concentrating that force into a smaller area. You might even manage to drive the blunt end of that wooden chopstick into their skin. You might be able to break the skin. It, it depends on how, really how hard you hit them. So when I wrote the book Flashlight Fighting many years ago, the book was an unremarkable treatise on Uara techniques using a wooden dowel such as you could have on your keychain, um, you know, that, that's what a Yawara is. It's just a wooden dowel that does all the things I've just described to you. It is a, a rigid cylindrical object that allows you to compress the force of your attack into a smaller area. It doesn't feel pain and it amplifies the amount of force you are applying to the target. That's why we call weapons force multipliers. So when I wrote Flashlight Fighting, the whole point was, these are Yawara techniques. You are now going to use a small flashlight to do them. The only thing the book had going for it was that no one had bothered to think of doing so up to that point. So mine was the first book that took popular small flashlights and used them as a stand-in for a Yuwara and said, okay, here's how you would use those techniques. Nothing about using a force multiplier in that way is dangerous to you. Nothing about it is going to get you killed. But if you don't understand how weapons work, if you're just stupid when it comes to self-defense, then you will not understand how that works either. You will be confused, and you might even be tempted to start drama and hate on the person telling you about these techniques because you don't understand, because you're dumb. Now, granted, you might just be ignorant. Ignorant means you are not informed. It's been my experience that most people who are willing to go on the Internet and say, that'll get you killed, you shouldn't use those techniques. Well, those people are dumb, and they're going to stay dumb. No amount of telling them, this is simple physics, and these are proven techniques that have been around for a long time. No amount of that is going to change their minds. So <clears throat> when, you, when you are tempted to start drama with people because you don't understand a weapon that they are uh, espousing the benefits of, you are already in a losing position. Um, it's been my experience that people who argue against the use of weapons almost always have no knowledge of the weapon they are uh, uh, putting down. You know, and, and that's understandable. Why would you? Obviously, if you understood the weapon, you wouldn't be talking about how much it sucks. You might talk about its limitations. Every weapon has limitations. Um, but I have seen so often throughout a, a multiple decades in the martial arts and in the self-defense industry, there are just people 
who don't understand weapons. They are the carrying that's gonna get you killed crowd, and they're stupid. They are willfully stupid because even presented with evidence of the fact that these things work, these things have worked, these things, these things can work, and these things will work, they still will not change their opinions because, I don't know, in their hug box it makes them feel better to think that no one's going to use a weapon on them and if anyone tries they'll be able to mix martial arts their way through it or whatever. Carrying a force multiplier, understanding that humans are tool using creatures, and knowing that you should always have some form of force multiplier available to you. These same stupid people, these same people who start so much drama on the internet, will tell you that, well, if you were less insecure in your fighting skills, you wouldn't need a weapon. And you get this a lot from folks overseas. Uh, here in the United States, we have a long tradition of weapons being legal. We have a long tradition of weapons ownership. We have the Second Amendment, which is supposed to uh, protect the right to keep and bear arms. Granted, those rights are constantly under attack here in the United States. Um, it's very upsetting when you think about just how much they are under attack. But we still, we, we have this long heritage of weapons and weapons ownership. You go overseas, especially folks in the UK where like self-defense is essentially illegal. In Canada, self-defense is essentially illegal. Um, they very recently just made it impossible. It's completely illegal to buy a gun, transfer a gun, bring a gun into the country from outside the country. You just can't own a handgun. Um, they're going to get to the other firearms eventually. Um, Trudeau, the, the pig who runs Canada, essentially, I have no respect for Trudeau, he, there's video footage of him saying, well, you know, we want you to register your guns, but this is absolutely not a prelude to confiscating them all. And of course it was. It's like, that's when the Morgan Freeman narrator comes in, but of course it was a prelude to stealing your guns. Um, I can't do a Morgan Freeman impression. So uh, people overseas especially will give people here in this country an awful lot of static about carrying weapons. I've had a couple, of, one of the reasons, one of the things that inspired this podcast was I've had a couple of comments on my Instagram channel recently. I did a video about uh, one of Bram Frank's knives. I'm a huge fan of Bram Frank's knives. I love the stuff that he puts out. I have for years. I always have one of his large knives available. Bram does this standardization thing, which I really appreciate. The blade styles change, but the size and the handles stay the same. So he has a standard size and a magnum size of all of the stuff he puts out. And I prefer to have one of the magnum Bram Frank knives available to me whenever possible, uh, which is all the time, as it turns out. So uh, somebody commented on one of my videos about one of Bram's knives, and he said something like, it's insane to think that you walk around prepared to kill someone at all times. And I'm like, that's what self-defense is. I mean, it's not, you don't set out with the goal to kill someone. You set out with the goal to be able to deliver enough force to neutralize an attacker. If they happen to die from being neutralized, that's their problem. You know, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, there's this myth about shooting to wound or shooting to kill, especially where police are concerned. And a lot of people who don't understand how shooting things works and shooting people uh, will go, well, why did you just shoot him in the leg? Why'd you have to kill him? Well, because that's not how it works. Police officers are trained under the stress and adrenaline of a real attack to shoot for the largest part of the person. And even when you're shooting for the center of mass, the largest target there is, your marksmanship goes to hell while you are adrenalized. So if they shoot you, 
they aren't shooting to kill or not shooting to kill. They're shooting to stop you and make you stop moving. If you then die, again, that's your problem. But they're not trying to make you die. They're just trying to make you stop. You know, you're assuming a certain amount of risk when you force the police to shoot you. Something so many people don't seem to understand. But when you, when you carry a force multiplier, whatever that force multiplier is, when you carry a weapon of any kind, you are acknowledging a reality. That reality is the reality that these little drama queens don't understand. It's the reality that the carrying that will get you killed people do not get. And that is that you are not the strongest, you're not the fastest, and you never will be. There's this, this culture, especially among like, on, on one end of the spectrum you got the mixed martial arts crowd, but sharing space with them are some of the the lefty traditional martial artists who think that martial arts are all about discipline and character development and you know other things that have nothing to do with defending yourself and they all you you get this stripe of anti-weapon martial artists that runs that gamut you know from, from all the way from tma to mma and in between uh, sometimes even reality-based self-defense people although much less so among them because they start out from the standpoint of practical realistic self-defense so they're they're less likely to hate on weapons because that's part of the reality you still get that sometimes you get some of these these uh, left-wingers who just can't help themselves i worked for an internet marketer for many many years who arguably was uh i guess you'd call what he did reality based as opposed to anything rooted in traditional martial arts but even he could not stop his own knee-jerk left-wing reactions about certain things. Ted Nugent said something to make him mad, and I had to stop him from sending out an email angry about Ted Nugent. I'm like, for the love of God, do not send that email. That is not going to help your customer base in any way. Because, you know, in this industry, especially, there's two approaches. You can be as right-wing as right-wing gets, and you'll get a fairly large audience. Or you can shoot for being apolitical and you'll get the whole audience because there are people who are into surviving and camping and some self-defense stuff. Like they don't, it's not necessarily political. Or at the very least, there's a lot of people on the left who believe it's not political. I'm of the opinion that there is no such thing as apolitical self-defense because the left does not want you to defend yourself. <clears throat> but there are people on the left who would disagree with that. They say, well, no, I won't be able to defend myself. So their philosophies are at best inconsistent, but they're out there. So there's nothing to be gained by politicizing this if you don't have to, and yet it's very hard not to let your politics come through. And by and large, the people who are like, oh, Curry, they'll get you killed, those are lefties. And they're out there in the martial arts, they're out there in the self-defense world, and to a lesser extent, they're out there in the reality-based self-defense venues and areas of the market. But... Uh, if you can't embrace the reality that you will never be the strongest guy, you're already at a disadvantage. The, the mixed martial arts crowd especially is of the belief that, you know, if you just work out hard enough and you just get good enough at shooting in for takedowns and, you, you know, you just work out and, and, and build yourself and become the weapon, like, that's all fine and good. But you will not always be that person. Like, even in your prime, there'll be somebody who's better than you. There are many news stories about mixed martial arts guys who were at the top of their game, who were good mixed martial artists, who still got killed by people who were much less adept fighters than they were because those people used weapons. Um, and even in a world where nobody had any weapons, eventually you will get old. Eventually you will not be as strong as you are now. And 
just the numbers being what they are. You walk out of the house, there are people who are bigger and stronger and critically more numerous than you, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how tough you think you are. So rather than being some sort of acknowledgement of insecurity, carrying a force multiplier is the ultimate recognition of your own humility, your, your own understanding that you aren't the toughest guy. And while you may be tougher than some people you encounter, you're not going to be tougher than others. And pick a fight with the wrong person and you're suddenly going to get more of them than you bargained for. That's a fact. Um, so yes, you should be carrying a force multiplier. You should be carrying a, a tool to make self-defense easier. But there are people who will complain, even people who understand the use of, of force multipliers. Uh, there will be people who complain that you are carrying what is essentially a talisman, something that is meant to signify that you are armed, but you aren't really armed. It's almost akin to the, I believe it's called a kerpan, the, the ceremonial knife that uh, seeks or six, I've never been sure how people pronounce that. Um, the, the knife that they carry as part of their religion. Um, Sikhs are cool people. I've never met one that wasn't cool. and Not that I've met a whole bunch of them, but they seem really cool to me. And, and following the tenets of their religion, you can usually spot a Sikh because he's wearing a bracelet, which is like a, a throwback to when they were wearing a shield or a bracer of some kind, and he's got some kind of knife on him. There's a, there's a Canadian politician who's a Sikh who I believe is carrying a knife around in a shoulder holster the whole time, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, certainly goes well with the type of dress you have to wear when you know, dress. It, it goes well with how you dress when you're a politician, I guess. Um, but it's also very visible, so maybe that's the point. Anyway, uh, you know, politician. Maybe maybe meeting a politician would be the one exception to my every Sikh I've ever met is cool uh, philosophy. But anyway, they are a warrior people, and they're cool. So there will be people who say that if you're carrying, like, a mouse gun. Mouse guns are those little pocket guns that fire a very small caliber, like a 22 or a 25. People carry mouse guns because they want to be armed, but they want the convenience of not having a great big heavy gun that they need to conceal. You know, like like if I'm carrying even a Glock 19, which is a relatively compact pistol, you have to have a cover garment to carry that around. You're not just going to slip that in your pocket. It's too big for comfortable ankle carry. Ankle carry sucks anyway. Um, so people will carry what they call mouse guns, which are just little guns that you can stick in a pocket. Um, I'm a big fan of the North American Arms mini revolvers for that reason. Um, they jump like hell when you fire them. you got to choke the life out of them when you shoot them because the gun itself will jump and there's not enough handle to really hold on to to stop it from doing that. But at the range at which you could almost touch somebody's face, shooting them in it will certainly change their behavior. So mouse guns do have self-defense utility. They are not the gun to try and make any shot at any distance. And there are plenty of scenarios where you need to be able to make a shot at a distance. Um, Eli Dickin, the guy who saved those people in a mall by taking down a, an active shooter, he, there's people talking about the Dickin drill, which is making a certain number of shots from a certain considerable distance which replicates the distance at which this dude made that shot. And had he had something smaller than the already compact carry gun he was carrying, he might not have been able to do it. You know, with, with like a little Beretta 25 or something like that, you know, like a C-Camp or a North American Arms Mini Revolver, that shot would not have been possible. So I understand the people who complain that carrying a very small self-defense tool to kind of make yourself feel better, 
yeah, you could see it as a talisman, as a, I'm carrying the symbol of self-defense, but I'm not truly prepared. I still think, you know, every tool has its limits. If I'm carrying one of those mouse guns, then I have a weapon that will give me an advantage at very close ranges, at the ranges at which I'm in imminent danger. It does limit my ability to protect other people at a large distance. So that affects what I do. That affects my options. Um, there are knife equivalents of mouse guns, too. Um, you know, there are very small neck knives. I have somewhere amongst all my toolboxes full of knives, I have a neck knife that it, it sort of sits on one finger almost like a like a ring, and then it's almost like a tiny push dagger, and it, it, um, it would enable you to put a, a hole in somebody at close range, but the blade is like an inch long, like an inch and a half, something like that. So that would be like the mouse gun equivalent of a knife. There are certain little keychain knives. Cold Steel makes these little punch daggers, these little tiny punch daggers that fit on a keychain, smaller than their larger uh, push knives, that are in the same category. That's like the knife equivalent of a mouse knife, of mouse gun. And it's better than nothing. I mean, obviously, when you have a cutting edge of any kind, especially one that won't collapse, that's clearly better than if you don't have anything. For one thing, if you just need to cut something open, it's a lot easier to cut things open with an actual knife blade than with the edge of your hand. People are like, why do you carry that knife if you're just going to open mail with it? Well, because it's a lot harder to open packages by karate chopping them. So uh, you, you could move up to a more substantial knife. Maybe you're somewhere that you can't. Maybe you're in a non-permissive environment where there's either a length limit or whatever you're carrying is already pushing the envelope of what you're supposed to have. Um, another big talisman, and this is big in the industry, is the tactical pen. Uh, lots and lots of people out there carrying tactical pens, many of whom are surprised when security at whatever security checkpoint you're going through looks at the tactical, tactical pen, sees all the knurling and the knobbing and the this and the that and the fluting and goes, that's a weapon, not just a pen, and then takes it away. So never pay a lot of money for a tactical pen because you just never know. There, there's no need to buy an explicit tactical pen. I have an entire drawer of them. I am not lying to you. Um, if you're watching the video, I am pointing my thumb at a couple of plastic organizers that sit on a table behind me that my cat likes to sleep on top of. One entire drawer of that organizer is full of tactical pens. How did I accumulate so many? Well, I've written a couple of magazine articles on tactical pens, so manufacturers sent them to me. Um, I've gotten a bunch of gifts. I tend to buy them. Even though I have toolboxes full of knives, I can't stop myself from buying more knives. It's a sickness. But I have more tactical pens than time forgot. And, and I wouldn't pay more than 20 or 30 bucks tops for any one of them. Pay less if you can you know, a good price range for a tactical pen to me around 10 bucks, but sometimes they range a little more expensive. I just picked up one from um, Mike Ox, who, who has a, Mike Ox is a firearms trainer who has, uh, I think visiontraining.com is his website. Now, I don't do affiliate marketing, and that's, this is not an affiliate thing. I'm not advertising for Ox. I literally bought his tactical pen recently because the internet marketer that I used to work for did an affiliate sale for his stuff. And uh, the pen is a little more normal looking. It's a little more covert, so it might, you know, pass muster when you're going somewhere where they will let you have a pen, but they don't want you to have a weapon. Uh, the point is, any metal, any metal pen will work. Uh, Zebra makes metal pens. Used to be Zebra made like 
it was a steel and plastic pen and people were taking another zebra pen and putting the two together to make an all steel pen and zebra apparently cottoned on to this at some point and so now they make all steel tactical pens and sharpie makes stainless steel markers now that you can get refillable inserts for so there's lots and lots of of, of just pens on the market that are sturdy and made of metal and yes can be used as improvised poking and stabbing implements it, they work on exactly the same principle as using a flashlight as a uara and and they are just as sound you know this is uh let me get it into the frame here this is one of my favorite pens i use it all the time it is a what is it i have to look at the label every time because i forget what it's called it's a Pentec Energel, I think the name was on here. I thought, and I'm looking over my glasses to use my human microscope eyes, and now I don't see the name. I thought the name was on here somewhere. Anyway, um, I like gel pens, and this is an, an, a metal gel pen, uh, so it's a little more pricey than a, than a, your average pen, and this would do fine as an improvised poking and stabbing implement. It happens to be the the thing that I write with all the time here at my desk. Any metal pen will serve you. Any metal marker will serve you. Any plastic marker will serve you. Um, when Cold Steel came out with their Sharky marker, um, I believe they probably got a letter from the Sharpie people because originally the Cold Steel Sharky was, it looked just like a Sharpie or very close. And, you know, it was meant as a, as a striking tool. And that's why they were selling it. They, they changed the appearance and the name if I'm not mistaken. And I believe, I don't know this, but my supposition has always been they got a letter and the Sharpie people said, uh-uh. <laughs> and so they had to make changes to the product line so they weren't infringing on anybody's, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you would call it their trademark, but, you know, get it. They, they didn't want to end up in court arguing that our product is not meant to ape the appearance and the name of this established product. So I'd, I'd be curious, I'd love to know the behind-the-scenes story there and of course i never will so tactical pens are frequently cited as one of these talismans like mouse guns that give the appearance of self-defense but aren't really giving you anything much more and i think that's wrong i think if you have any force multiplier whether it's a tactical pen or a regular pen or a flashlight or a pocket stick anything like that i think you are better off having the tool knowing how to use it and you know books like flashlight fighting teach you the basics of how to use the tool it's a very simple method it's nothing about it is going to get you killed it, it just makes sense it's physics and martial tradition combined uh, and you know anybody who really takes the time to understand self-defense can understand these concepts but the drama queens out there they are not going to understand these concepts because they don't want to uh, and really, that's where the drama comes from. There are a lot of people who have a vested interest in protecting themselves and their precious little egos from the cognitive dissonance of finding out that they're wrong. They get so upset when you challenge them that they become hateful and spiteful and angry, and that's where the drama comes from. There are a lot of people who just like to start drama because drama is fun. There's lots of reasons drama gets generated. But when it comes from the carrying that will get you killed crowd, it is precisely because they don't know what they think they know, they don't understand self-defense, and they never will because they don't want to. That's willful ignorance. And unfortunately, you can shout at them until you are blue in the face. You will never convince them. 
And you don't have to. That's the good news. You don't have to convince them. All you have to do is make sure that you are equipped and protected and able to defend yourself and those you care about. Uh, that was that was another comment that one of these idiots, uh, there was one guy from New Zealand who told me that uh, it wasn't that his feelings made him feel safe. It was that he lives in a place with a, with a low crime rate and a very high clearance rate for crimes. And uh, I'm like, well, for one thing, low crime rate doesn't mean no crime rate. For another thing, um, I'm not sure that the clearance rate for crimes that are being investigated translates into you being completely safe. But more importantly, you live on an island that has a homogenous population and is ruled over by a de facto dictator who during the pandemic was constantly shutting you down and taking your rights away. If I'm not mistaken, New Zealand did a whole bunch of firearms confiscation too a while back. And I believe that was triggered by, hmm, something specific. But it was either that guy or another guy, and they both started commenting at the same time, so I'm suspicious that maybe the video on Instagram, the reel, was linked somewhere, somewhere probably outside the United States. But that guy was going on and on about, um, you know, I can't imagine being prepared to kill every time you leave the house. You know, the comment I mentioned before. And he... You know, when I said, uh, I can't imagine not being willing to take responsibility for protecting yourself and those you care about, he's like, oh, so it's a hero complex. I'm like, no, that's just what a responsible person does. And the fact that you think that's a hero complex makes me think that you're projecting your weakness onto everybody else. And that's really what it comes down to. You either understand self-defense or you're weak and angry and unable, to, and unable to handle reality, and you want to project that weakness onto everybody else. Those are your choices. Pick one. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I have been the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash Elmore.